Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that will blow the tennis balls off your grandma's walker. Here is the captain. That joke is funny because he's suggesting that I like to blow balls. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. All right, this week's beer is certain to bring cheer and make any occasion festive. That's right, we are drinking Christmas Ale Scotch Ale. That is by Bell's Brewery up in Michigan, garage grade. Four out of five bottle caps. And Captain, let's bring some cheer and some cheers to those who contributed to this week's beer fund. First up, we have Gavin, all the way over in beautiful Dublin, Ireland. We like your gym. And a big cheers to Matthew in Salon, Ohio. Next up, we have a little cheers to Little Miss Clips up in Ontario, Canada. Cheers. And a big shout out to Amanda in West Covina, California. Next, a big Ron Swanson please and thank you goes out to Alicia in Williamstown, New Jersey. And next, we have Rebecca in New York, New York. Rebecca says, happy sleuthing. Thank you to everyone who helped us out with this week's beer fund. And another great way to show support for our little garage show is to, just like the captain says, tell a friend about the show and then go to iTunes or wherever you listen to TCG and take two seconds out of your busy day to leave us a five-star review. In fact, if you do so, I would consider that to be a personal holiday gift. Yes, I'd like to thank everybody that donated to the Beer Fund this year. B-double-E-double-R-U-N. Beer Run. Also, for all of our old episodes, check us out on Stitcher Premium. We also have a show called Off the Record. Check that out as well. And that is enough 
of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Danielle Stizlicki went missing on December 2nd, 2016. And luckily in this case, the Farmington Hills Police Department investigated her case as a missing case right away and very quickly shifted to a criminal investigation. As time passed, investigators worked behind the scenes to gather as much evidence as possible against Floyd. Given that they did not have the most crucial piece of evidence of all in any murder investigation, which of course would be Danny's body. Thousands of man hours went into trying to find Danny and putting together a case against the suspect. Meanwhile, all the public knew at this juncture was that the police searched the home of a former security guard and removed some items from the premises. In February of 2017, the chief denied that they had a suspect, only saying, quote, we're building a case. We are still making progress. We still have potential evidence to send to the lab. But then on June 28, 2017, charges were announced. No, these were not related to Danny's case. These were charges relating to the sexual assault of a jogger in Hines Park in Livonia in September of 2016. Let's go through that case, shall we, here, Captain? I'm with you, Colonel. A 28-year-old woman called 911 and reported to police that she went jogging in Hines Park around 6 p.m. She said that she parked near Joy Road and Farmington Road and ran four and a half miles in Hines Park. She was training for a half marathon. On her way back, she took a path through a wooded area. A man was coming in the other direction on the path, and as the two passed each other, the man turned around and grabbed her from behind. Uh He dragged her into the woods, holding her in a chokehold with his arms. The man climbed on top of her as he pinned her to the ground, punching her and choking her until she momentarily passed out. She managed to yell at him. What do you want? She screamed. Why are you doing this? The man simply answered, I just want sex. The woman began pleading with her attacker to let her go and said that she had a family and a daughter. It seems she may have gotten through to the would-be rapist as he got off of her eventually and ran off. As soon as the man left, the victim got up and went to go get help. She flagged down two cars along Hines Drive and called 911. Her body was processed and DNA was collected, but there was no match in the system. 
But think about how courageous and strong she had to be. I mean, that's amazing. But the jogger was able to provide police with a composite drawing of the suspect. And guess what? This suspect looked awfully a lot like someone who was now on the police's radar. This was Floyd Russell Galloway Jr. Yeah, so we have this missing girl, Danny, that they've been looking at. Law enforcement has spent in a bunch of time. They have a possible suspect in the security guard, Floyd. And now we have this other attack happen. And the composite drawing looks just like the suspect that you have. Yeah, this is really amazing because uh, I've seen a lot of composite sketches in our time doing our little garage work here, Captain. And this one, to me, like... you. You might as well had the best artist in the world sitting in a chair and staring and looking directly at Floyd Russell Galloway Jr. Because it looks yeah. identical to him. This is one of the best composite sketches that I have seen. Yeah, this artist would get an A plus in my art class. So the jogger, our victim here in the Park case, unfortunately was unable to pick Floyd out of a photo lineup. Yeah, I think it was twice that she wasn't able to pick him out of a photo lineup. They were going to have to get some more solid evidence than just a composite sketch. According to WWJ News Radio, cell phone evidence put Floyd at the park on that day. And in some great, great police work, police compared the DNA taken from the rape victim with DNA that they collected from Floyd's home in connection with the Stizlicki investigation. And it turns out that DNA was a match. Got him. Floyd was arrested on June 27th and charged with kidnapping, criminal sexual conduct with intent to commit penetration, and assault with intent to do great bodily harm by strangulation. This guy's a dirtbag. At this time, he was named as a person of interest in the case of Daniel Stizlicki. And police acknowledged that he was acquainted with Danny and confirmed that he had been questioned in Danny's case. Further, it was announced that Floyd was also being investigated in connection with yet another sexual assault case that occurred on June 10th of 2017 in Allen Park. This case also resulted in a sketch of the suspect, which strongly resembled the perp in the Heinz Park case. As for Danny's case, the Farmington Hills Police Department Chief Chuck Nebus stated, quote, the pieces of the puzzle have been slowly falling into place since Danielle disappeared on December 2nd. But Floyd refused to talk about Danny's case. He repeatedly took the fifth and avoided providing any information to law enforcement whatsoever. As a result of law enforcement linking Floyd to the jogger case from just three months before Danny's disappearance, in July of 2017, there was a massive search of Heinz Park where the crime was committed. This was the largest search for Danny to date. Authorities were hoping that Floyd, who 
they're hoping that he may have returned to the park to dispose of Danny there, or at least evidence Mm -hmm. of the murder of Danny in the park. Yeah. This was because the Farmington Hills Police Department worked with FBI profilers who advised them that serial offenders often return to a spot that they have frequented in the past. So this search consisted of 155 police officers, FBI agents, and cadaver dogs. 20 agencies. 20 agencies were involved in this search. All of the officers were briefed to look for her blue jacket that we had mentioned, uh, her black shirt, jeans, and burgundy boots. The police chief in his public statement said that law enforcement authorities have expressed since day one that Danielle Stizlicki was a victim of a crime. The facts of the case led us to believe that she is not alive. Several air, land, and water searches have been conducted at various places throughout the investigation. Hines Park is being searched as the result of a recent Livonia and Farmington Hills joint investigation. This investigation has led to criminal charges in Livonia against Floyd Galloway. Uh, At the time, Captain, he was listed uh, as a 30-year-old resident of Berkeley. Because the Livonia incident occurred in Hines Park, it is a location that requires searching. There is no specific information or evidence that leads us, that being local law enforcement, to believe that Danny's remains are in the park. Right. Quote, the public is also asked to look for a tan and brown stripe comforter, which could also be important to this case. End quote. This is interesting because the chief police, the, the chief of police would not discuss how the comforter was suspected to be related to Danny's case. But it seems clear that officials, you know, even by his words, they're pretty clear. We do not believe that she is still alive. So what is up with this comforter? Well, yeah, I mean, but they had multiple search warrants. So we probably know that they're getting this comforter from his house. They took carpet samples. They took wood floor samples. Right. So we have crime scene photos of Floyd's bedroom at the Berkeley home that show a white comforter on the bed. Yeah. But it turns out that this was not the comforter on the bed at the time of the crime, before the crime. It is believed that Floyd's sister-in-law, his wife's sister, gave the police information that there had been a striped brown comforter on the bed but police did not find it during their December 7th search. And in fact, when they pulled Floyd's credit card transaction history in the course of investigating him, they discovered that he had purchased a new white $110 comforter at Bed Bath & Beyond on December 4th, just two days after Danny was last seen. And to take it a step further, Floyd is visible on the Bed Bath & Beyond surveillance video footage from that day, purchasing the white comforter and leaving the store with it. And kudos to her for coming forward because she posted this thing on Facebook uh, you know, um, of Danny basically saying, here's this missing girl that we're looking for. 
And she, she didn't believe that her brother-in-law was involved. So she's like, Hey, if we find this girl, if we help find this girl, that will obviously clear my brother-in-law. But once she posted that on Facebook, her family went nuts. Her sister was telling her to take it down. Her family was taking it down. And she felt like not only were they had the back of her brother-in-law, but they were not telling her things about this missing girl, Danny. Like she felt like they knew more than they were telling her or police. Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting because, as you just pointed out, Floyd's wife's family had his back, but it appears with the exception of the sister-in-law. And at some point, you know, she does say nice things about Floyd. She says he, he was lovable. He was a part of our family. We've known him for 10 years Everybody really likes the guy. He's nice and very gentle. And just look, I, of course, I've never had any conversations with with Floyd Galloway. Uh, I've seen interviews with him. I will say he has what I would describe as like a quiet, gentle face. He does not kind of chubby. Just his appearance does not send off any <laughs> red flags to me. You know, he doesn't kind of has the turtle face. He looks very boy next door mm. to me. Um, Chubby turtle face is what I'll call him. Well, yeah, and kind of a baby a baby face. It's just weird to think that Floyd's wife's family would be covering for him. Yeah, I'm, I don't know how much her family knew or was covering for, for this young man, but um, the, the opposite of that is, is the sister-in-law. Because, okay, so... The sister-in-law's name is Elizabeth Rose Newton. She was not just cooperative with police, but as you said, Captain, was active in the search for Danny so much so as that she was, you know, putting up flyers and she was active in any of the search, you know, some of the searches as well as the gatherings and such for this this missing young woman. And she's posting online to try to help find Danny as well. It's believed that she is the one that talked to police about the comforter of the missing comforter that police likely would have had no idea would have been missing at all. Had she not said it now, why she has a different opinion of Floyd than the rest of the family. This kind of comes to light later where she says, well, he's El creepo. She recalled a conversation that she had with Floyd where he told her. And of course this is months before the fact of Danny going missing, mm -hmm. but he told her that he was addicted to pornography mm -hmm. and he was considering cheating on his wife. Yeah. So of course she's going to have a much different opinion about this man than the others. A lot of these killers are, Mr. Flicky Flickies. And this is interesting as well. She says, look, the police told me about there being eyewitnesses that saw them, meaning Floyd, her brother-in-law, and the missing young woman, Danielle. Yeah. Eyewitnesses that saw them at the house together, at Floyd's house together on Oxford Street in Berkeley. Yeah, I believe she told this to the media, but law enforcement never confirmed this, but I think it's something that they're trying to keep in the back of their pocket. So I think that then this might be a situation that might 
who knows if if the police were lying to the sister-in-law to try to get information that she did not have um then that might be one of these situations she ends up telling this to the media i don't think law enforcement lied to her i just don't think it was something that they wanted to release to the media yeah she goes on to tell the media that my sister was in the hospital so she wasn't around and the fact that he meaning floyd has no explanation for his whereabouts on that day is very interesting as you pointed out captain it seems that it was hard for everyone who knew floyd galloway to believe that he was guilty of this stuff it seems that in general he was well liked and was seen as a totally normal guy he didn't have much of a police record just a misdemeanor charge for dui which was a while back this was in 2008 for which he got probation but nonetheless the sister-in-law continued to stand up Mm -hmm. for her family who was supportive of Floyd. And then as far as social media goes, Captain, we have Rich Stizlicki, who posted about how grateful he was for the sister-in-law helping out in this case. In March of 2017, Floyd filed for a personal protection order against the sister-in-law, basically saying that she was harassing and slandering him. Well, that's now cute. Floyd's request was denied by a judge. Yeah, oh, ridiculous. Even though Floyd's wife stuck by her husband's side during all of this, it seems that the Livonia attempted rape was the last straw for his wife, Eileen Galloway, because she did file for divorce from Floyd while she while he was awaiting trial. Now, sadly, remember she was battling cancer. Eileen died in 2018, succumbing to her cancer at the young age of just 31. Meanwhile, in the attempted rape and murder charge from the Heinz Park incident, Floyd continued to deny involvement despite the DNA findings. He rejected two separate plea deals before finally accepting his fate. Is quite the negotiator there, Captain. In December of 2017, he did plead guilty to kidnapping, criminal sexual conduct, and assault with intent to do bodily harm. He was required to register as a sex offender for life. Floyd was forced to read a statement in court confessing to attempting to rape the jogger. He mumbled his way through it, and the judge had to ask him to speak up a number of times. He was then sentenced to 16 to 35 years in prison, and the Stizlicki family was in the courtroom the day that he was sentenced. Yeah, the judge had to say, hey, piece of shit, speak up. Yeah, and there's some other interesting evidence that's going to come out against Floyd as far as the Stizlicki portion of this story goes so police clearly had floyd on their radar as a suspect very early on in the investigation it came out later that they had hidden a gps tracker on his vehicle for 36 hours before they took the vehicle and impounded it this was in december of 2016 now we've seen that witnesses named him as being seen with Danny on the last day that she was seen. And also when law enforcement tracked her phone, it appeared to go to an area near 
Floyd's home before traveling back to her apartment and then vanishing from the network. Police had an idea where to look for video surveillance footage of Danny's Jeep. Remember, they still wanted to know when the vehicle returned to the apartment and its movements. So the three significant points of interest in this case form what looked like a capital T on a map. The MetLife building is at the bottom of the T. Floyd's residence is at the right-hand portion of the top of the T. And Danny's apartment is the left-hand point of the top of the T. So the drive between the their homes is pretty much a straight line, a distance of 14.7 miles. Police subpoenaed footage from some businesses along the route right. from the MetLife complex in Southfield to Floyd's home in Berkeley, and then between Floyd's home and Danny's home. They found footage showing Danny's Jeep Renegade with its visible mud pattern on the sides, pulling up to a light heading eastbound on 11-mile road at 5.03 p.m. This is just a half mile from Floyd's home. Then at 7.56 p.m., the same Jeep arrives westbound on 11-mile, heading toward Danny's apartment. Police announced early on that they were not certain that it was Danny who was driving the Jeep on this later trip to her home. It is clear that they believe that it was Floyd driving toward her apartment and that Danny was likely already dead by this point, or at least incapacitated and tied up at his home. What is not known or if it is, police just are not saying, is whether her body was transported to some disposal site in her own vehicle. Right. Of course, her DNA would be in the vehicle since she she owned it and drove it. And we know that Floyd was a passenger since he was seen by Brandon Williams, so his DNA could be in the vehicle as well. But Floyd denied to police seeing Danny that day, and when the Jeep was found, investigators noted that the passenger door handle appeared to have been wiped clean. Apparently, whoever that passenger was, identified as Floyd, of course, but whoever it was did not want evidence left behind that they were in the vehicle. Yeah, and look, we know that Floyd has attacked other women so there's a some kind of level of criminal sophistication because these are fantasies he's probably having over and over so then he's also looking for ways to cover his tracks it just seems like law enforcement were were able to pick him as a suspect quickly and and move in on him and collect this evidence uh, to start building a case. Yeah, they're looking to build a case against this guy. They're looking to collect evidence to support the idea that Danny was inside his home or possibly even killed inside of Floyd's home on that day. Now, after a couple of years, Danny's parents decided to seek an order to declare Danny as deceased. Since she was gone, they were left trying to handle all of Danny's affairs, including bills and such. 
There were college loans, car payments, and other bills. Some of these were on auto pay. Her parents had their own jobs to worry about, as well as the constant public appearances they engaged in to help find their daughter. And they did not need the added financial burden of paying these bills. They said that based on the information they were receiving from the authorities, they believed that Danny was no longer with them. Unwillingly, they had cleaned out Danny's apartment in February of 2017 and taken her cat to live with them, saying at the time that logically they recognized that she was not coming home. And it's likely that the prosecutor told them that obtaining a death certificate was a good idea to bolster the case for murder. In 2018, Judge Callahan of the probate court issued a death certificate for Danny, stating that she died on December 2nd, 2016. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. 
Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, mates. Thanks for joining us. Cheers to you, Colonel. In early 2019, the Michigan Attorney General's office took over Danny's case and a brand new AG, this is Dana Nessel, reviewed two years worth of evidence compiled by the Farmington Hills detectives and others who assisted in this investigation. And in March of 2019, charges were finally filed against Floyd Galloway for first-degree premeditated murder of Danielle Stizlicki. Nessel said that after taking office as Attorney General in January, she reviewed the details of the case and thought that there was enough evidence there to charge Galloway. She described the evidence against him as compelling. She felt that at this point, 
not much additional evidence would be forthcoming and they were going to have to proceed with what they had. She stated that the longer you wait, the more issues with the evidence come up. Witnesses forget things, uh, material evidence degrades over time. So she wants to push forward with these charges now. She doesn't think her case is getting any better against this guy. Right. Nestle said that she'd seen multiple cases of no body murders prosecuted successfully and had no doubt that they would that that would happen here. She brought in a special prosecutor to handle the case, the very experienced, no-nonsense Jamie Powell Horowitz. Now, Floyd was arraigned on March 6th. Per Michigan law, a not guilty plea was entered on his behalf. So where do they go from here? What's the next step? So the next step, Captain, in Floyd's journey through the legal system was a preliminary hearing. This is an extended hearing in front of a judge. Some other jurisdictions use a grand jury with citizens determining the outcome, but the purpose of the preliminary hearing or exam is for the judge to determine whether there is probable cause, enough evidence to prove the charges, the the, the charged crimes were in fact committed And if so, the defendant would be bound over for a full-blown trial to determine guilt. As in a trial, in the preliminary exam, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. And the proceedings is, in essence, actually like a, it's like a mini trial almost. Right. And in a stroke of luck for true crime devotees, the entire proceedings for this case, which spanned about two days, and took place in September of 2019, was videoed and is available for viewing on YouTube. The special prosecutor who was brought in to handle this proceeding for the state was that Jamie Powell Horowitz. And because she had to show probable cause to believe that a crime was in fact committed but had no body because Danny was never found, she had to give the judge a lot of evidence more so than you would have to, if in fact there was a body and she did not disappoint. Now I should point out captain that the evidence itself against Floyd is pretty much circumstantial, but it is very possible that the prosecution has held back some evidence, even, even with that exam going on, that they are reserving some of it for the actual trial. Well, and Floyd has this history. The more you pile on him to prove that you know that he's guilty of a crime, he might confess to it. He might end up uh, striking a deal with them on this case. So let's go through some of the evidence that we know that they have against Floyd. We know that they have two eyewitnesses who saw Floyd with Danny on the evening that she disappeared. These are the co-workers. Right. And we also know that Floyd called in sick to work for that same day. So he's unaccounted for. We think that it's possible that some of Floyd's neighbors saw Danny's Jeep at Floyd's home or maybe even possibly Danny herself. We know that Danny's phone was at or near Floyd's home on the evening of her disappearance and went off the network permanently. 
The new information that came out at the preliminary exam is as follows. Detectives tracked Floyd's phone. He left home after 10 a.m. on December 2nd, and after running an errand, he drove near the MetLife building. His phone pinged off of a tower there at 11.14 a.m. So the presumption here is that he was verifying that Danny's car was in the parking lot, that she was, in fact, at work. Right, right. Setting up, stalking her. From there, he went to the hospital to visit his wife, who is in there ill with cancer. Then he left the hospital and was home by 2.58 p.m. Around this time, he texts a friend, his name's Brian Osborne, that he was heading to work. Remember, Floyd's shift would have been from 3 to 11 p.m. that day, but he called off. And then his phone went home. At 3.54, his phone started moving west in the direction of the MetLife building, which would be an 11-minute drive from his location. Yeah, I find this a little fishy. I mean, he might just be answering the question, oh, I got to go to work, so that's the answer, and lying about it. Or he's possibly establishing some kind of alibi. Yeah, he's supposed to be at work. He's just letting somebody know either, you know, it's either establishing an alibi or his friends asking him what he's up to. And he's just saying, I'm going to work because I'm going to be busy abducting and murdering for the next several hours. His phone, Floyd's phone was then turned off from 3.56 p.m. until 6.19 p.m. This is the time during which it is believed that he killed Danny at his home. At 6.20 p.m., his phone came back on, and it was at his home. It was located, you know, pinging in that Berkeley area. Right. At this time, his phone and Danny's phone, they were pinging from identical locations, which would put both of the phones at or near Floyd's address. Yeah. Floyd's phone remained on at his home until 7.38, at which time it went, it went off again. Then starting at 7.53, remember Danny's phone started moving west from Floyd's neighborhood to her own neighborhood, arriving at 8.16. His phone was still off. Danny's phone was permanently shut off at 8.16 p.m. And then at 9.39, Floyd's phone came back on and it's now located at his home. So two of the detectives, this is Detective Garrett and Molly, who were very, very smart and did some great work here. So once they saw that Floyd's phone, they saw the movement and patterns of his phone, they figured out that he drove to the MetLife building on the afternoon of the 2nd around 4 p.m. and waited there with his car hood up to lure Danny over to the vehicle. Yeah, it was like kind of like a Ted Bundy ruse. Then he somehow persuaded her to give him a ride home to his home which would be in the opposite direction of her destination. Rich Sizaki told the press that his daughter was the type of person that would help someone out in need, and he hoped that her generosity and giving was not her final undoing. 
Witnesses saw all of this, and the video surveillance footage shows Danny's car moving toward his home, and then a few hours later moving away from Floyd's house and toward her apartment. Detectives figured that Floyd must have attacked and killed Danny in his home and then driven her vehicle back to her apartment where he left it to try to make it look as though she had gone home after work and whatever went down happened after she went home. Right. The fact that he parked it in Danny's usual parking spot is pretty disturbing right? because this means that he had likely seen it in that spot before, meaning he had tracked her, followed her, was driving by her apartment when she was home. Right. The question was, how did Floyd then get back to the MetLife building where he left his vehicle after driving her car back to her apartment? Right. He could have taken an Uber or got a ride or something. Well, what they figured out was the detectives canvassed the area near Danny's apartment and discovered that there was a Tim Hortons at 10 Mile Road and Grand River which was about th- it was about three quarters of a mile from Danny's apartment. Old Timmy Ho-Ho's. And there on the video surveillance footage from the night of December 2nd, they saw Floyd Galloway. Yeah. He walked into the Tim Hortons at 8.38 p.m., paid cash for a coffee, and asked to use the business's phone to call a taxi cab. Now, this is interesting too. He was well, he's he called cash. a taxi cab using a phone number written on a yellow sticky note that he pulled from his pocket. Like a fake number. The cab picked him up around 9.05 p.m. And guess what? The, the cab driver, Sylvia Morris, testified at the preliminary exam that she remembered picking up Floyd. She identified the the passenger is Floyd and said that he told her that his car was broken down and he needed a ride to visit his girlfriend at an address that he gave to her. And this would be, this is interesting. He gives her an address to an apartment building called Woodbridge apartments located at two, five, three, 25 Groden drive in Southfield. She drives him there and drops him off. Again, he pays cash. He paid for the coffee with cash. He pays the cab for cash. This is more evidence that his movements, everything he's doing is premeditated, that he he planned a lot of this out before he even got Danny to give him a ride back to his place. Yeah, I mean, he was stalking her. He's obsessed with her. Like you said, he's coming up with all these plans, ways to cover his tracks. So they found surveillance footage from the apartment building where the taxi cab dropped off Floyd. This surveillance footage shows Floyd Galloway getting out of a taxi cab at 9.20 p.m., walking toward the apartment building. Right. Okay. Then the cab drives off, and suddenly he turns around and starts walking away from the building, and now he's walking in the direction of the MetLife building, which is just 300 yards away down Telegraph Road. Mm -hmm. Then at around 
I have a marker of 9.37 p.m. A Buick, believed to be Floyd's vehicle, was captured on video traveling eastbound on 11 mile in the direction of his home. And of course, if this is his vehicle, his vehicle was working just fine. But then there was more. On December 9th, just one week after Danny vanished, detectives walked the path from Danny's apartment to the Tim Hortons, examining every inch of the ground along the way. And sure enough, along Grand River Avenue, on the way to the Tim Hortons, they located Danny's missing keys. Remember, it has that distinctive keychain. Yeah. They found this in the grass near a highway entrance ramp. On the other side of the ramp, they found Danny Stizlicki's Fitbit. This was in the path that Floyd would have walked from her place to the Tim Hortons. Now, the Fitbit had been a bit of holdback information. The police never told the public about the Fitbit. And that's interesting because we've seen in other cases, a lot of times these these Fitbits, you can, you can locate them. And they were probably hoping to do so uh, electronically, but were unable to for whatever reason. Still a clever idea to follow the walking path. The detectives continue to ask the public to look for Danny's keys, even though they had actually found them only a week after her disappearance, meaning if they get a confession or if they get a guy in interrogation room, this is information they're hoping to pull from the person that actually committed the crime, not somebody that's just making it up as they go along. And then the icing on the cake was when detectives executed the search warrant on December 7th in a surprise search of Floyd's home They saw very quickly that a small patch of carpet uh, had been replaced in the master bedroom next to the bed. This had been done, they believed, on December 2nd or shortly after because they discovered that trash pickup from Floyd's home on Friday, December 2nd, uh, his wife had texted him from the hospital reminding him to put out the trash, which he acknowledged. Yes, I'll put out the trash. And scraps of carpet were found in the trash at his house, indicating that he had made the the carpet repairs after December 2nd. So crime scene techs removed the carpet around that the patched area, and lo and behold, biological material on the carpet near the patched area was traced using DNA, and they got a match to Danielle Stizlicki. Which proves that she was inside his place. So this DNA evidence, Captain, is going to lead investigators to how they believed that Danny was killed because the DNA found on the carpet was not necessarily from blood evidence. It was from something that they called a... A purge, all right? So the medical examiner testified that the DNA possibly came from a clear fluid called purged that he based his determination of the manner of death, meaning he believed that Danny had been murdered in that bedroom of Floyd's house and that the cause of death, which could not be determined because there's no body, 
but he says was likely asphyxiation, smothering, strangling, or choking, or possibly even hanging Mm -hmm. because of this purging on the carpet. Yeah, and so it's going to be, it was easily determined that they, the the charges were warranted, that the crimes that the prosecution said were committed did, in fact, they were committed by someone. And this, of course, is going to lead to the decision that Floyd Galloway should be charged with first degree premeditated murder in this case. The problem we have here today, Captain, we still do not know where where Danny is. Right, which sucks for the family. So there remains quite a few unanswered questions, such as how did Floyd lure her into the house? Because it doesn't seem that, I mean, he may have forced her into the home, but we know she was in a hurry to get to dinner with her friend and driving Floyd home was already way out of her way to help out this guy. And the terrible truth is that no one other than Floyd Galloway knows how he got her into the house. But we seen with the text message possible gun before where he, he offered up a drinking game to try to get her to come back to his house. Uh, some speculate her being a cat lover. He may have told her that he had a new cat or found one. Uh, let me give you some gas money. I just got to go inside and get it. You can come in with me. There's any number of ways that he could have tricked this nice young woman into following him into his home. And we also don't know not only where Danny's body is, but how it was transported for disposal. If it was her vehicle or one of the three vehicles that were uh, seized by police that belonged to Floyd Galloway and his family. We do know that detectives believe that Danny was dead by 6.20 p.m. when Floyd's phone came back online and it stayed at his house until 7.38 when it was turned back off. And Floyd deposited her vehicle at her apartment complex by 8.16 p.m., walked to the Tim Hortons, and then got a cab to take him near his vehicle. Obviously, he did not have Danny's body with him at that point. So he either got rid of her corpse between 738 and 816 on the drive to Independence Green Apartments, Danny's apartment, or after he returned home around 940 p.m. that night. Right. His wife was in the hospital for another week. So he had plenty of time to do whatever it is that he did without rushing to cover his bases. All we know is that by the time his home was searched on December 7th, Danny was, was long gone. Again, I hope they're able to put enough pressure on him, get enough evidence built against him. So he could at least tell the family where their uh, daughter and loved one is. The other thing too, is there seems to be some, thought at least or possibility that some of the investigators may have thought that Floyd may have put Danny's body into a dumpster because we mentioned already that many dumpsters in the area right. were emptied or searched 
during these initial searches for Danny, so much so that they did search the landfill at some point as well. That'd be hard. Now, in April of this year, the Detroit Free Press reported that they had obtained access to some documents relating to the upcoming trial of Floyd Galloway. The judge had made a ruling about a piece of evidence that she would allow the state to present in Floyd's murder trial. This was a conversation that Ann Stislicki recalled with her daughter, Danny, about two months before Danny disappeared. Right. The two were casually talking and Floyd's name came up because Ann had seen Floyd walking Danny to her car. Right. Danny told her mom that at the time Floyd said something very odd to her, which was that he could make a body disappear. It seems that the documents relating to this ruling were released to the media by mistake and were in violation of a seal on all materials relating to the case imposed by the judge early on. This is some of the most recent information to come out in this case. And this, of course, is something that they are going to allow at the trial. Well, but is that going to be held up because of COVID? Now, as of now, Floyd Galloway's trial is delayed because of COVID. Judge McMillan pointed out that in light of the pandemic, there are only they are only able to conduct one jury selection per day for the entire courthouse and are able to conduct only one trial per floor. There is a pre-trial status hearing scheduled for January 14th, 2021, but no trial date has yet been set. When the trial does happen, it will be fascinating to see the full scope of all of the evidence that the state of Michigan has against Floyd. Yeah, I believe they have more in their back pocket, but we have eyewitnesses that put him at MetLife. We have eyewitnesses that put him in her vehicle. They have eyewitnesses that put him in the vehicle without her. They have eyewitnesses of him and her at his place. Some sort of evidence, whether that's DNA, blood, from the carpet fibers to the wood planks that they ripped up, and DNA, both hers and his. Well, and with in regards to Floyd Galloway, this is not a man that appears to be dangerous. There's nothing in his appearance that sets off any red flags. And that's what's so scary about this situation in, in telling this story of what happened to Danny here, we have a guy that clearly planned this thing out, took a lot of effort into covering his tracks so much so that they have not been able to locate and find her remains. But this true crime story, it really has elements of stories that we've told before the lone jogger being attacked in the park. How many jogger cases have we covered? It's, it's appalling. I mean, it, it's, it's shocking at the number of joggers that we've covered that have been attacked. And, and we're, we're only talking about a very small amount in the grand scale of things. But then you take it a step further. You know, what are we not supposed to be scared of at this point? This woman just went to work and spoke to somebody that she knew and somebody that she probably thought was harmless. Yeah, he was a security guard at her work. They're there to protect you. Yeah. And, and he, 
He took advantage of somebody that was willing to help others, and he used that to set a trap for her. And he very likely fixated on her for months and months leading up to this. And under the the quiet shell, calm demeanor of this guy that we see on the outside, there clearly is a very, very evil, sick and twisted person inside. Yeah, psychopath. I hope that this trial does not get delayed. And I thought that one thing that was absolutely brilliant was they were interviewing a lot of the investigators and police officers that worked so very hard on this case and did such a good job, not only in Danny's case, but also the, the related case that took place in the park against Floyd. But one of the police officers, she said, Unfortunately, there is no real closure here. Now, we've seen this time and time again, and we know it to be true. But in Floyd's case, and in the case against Floyd, having seen his pushback, even when they had his DNA in the rape case, where he twice did not agree to plead guilty, even though they had DNA. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like with Floyd, he's going to continue to push back and push this thing to trial unless they find Danny's body. If they find Danny's body, he might in fact plead guilty to this and a trial could be avoided. Uh, Back to the statement of the police officer, what she said was, was so true and it's something we need to keep in mind here as we still continue to search for answers in Danny's case. She says that there is no closure. And even when Danny's remains are located, there will not be closure for the family. The only thing that we have been able to provide to her family is answers. Thanks for joining us here in the Flying Garage Ship. Make sure you tell a friend. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading this week? This week we are recommending Spies on Trial. True stories of espionage in the courtroom by Cecil C. Kuhn III. Spies on Trial is a collection of fast-paced stories of foreign spies engaged in daring deeds of sleuthing with more than their fair share of intriguing moments. But nowhere is the suspense more intense than inside the courtroom where the players are forced into offering up fascinating glimpses into the vast and nefarious underground world of international espionage. Check out Spies on Trial by Cecil Kuhn, and you can find that great title as well as many others at our website, truecrimegarage.com. Just click on the recommended page. Again, thank you guys so much, and until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 